Well, good morning, First Free Church. It's great to be with you all. My name is Steve. I get the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at the uh, church, and I'm excited. We're in like 2021. We're like three weeks in, almost out of January already, and uh, we're getting into the like uh, all resolutions give up season, right? Like where we're, we're just giving up. Anyone giving up on a resolution already? Hey, yeah, raise your hand loud and proud. I love it. I, uh, I did. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I, was, uh, I started with a couple friends of mine. We did an all-meat diet of like literally just eat meat all day, every day. And it was kind of awesome. I mean, like we, uh, my wife and I went to Costco, loaded up on all the meat, and like they were giving us strange looks. Uh, like, are they preparing for the apocalypse? Nope, just my food for the next few weeks. And uh, so I got to just eat meat every single day, three, me- three times a day. And then for snack, like meat sticks, beef jerky, it was great. And I was enjoying it. I was feeling good. Like it, it was kind of a, a fun challenge. And uh, they're, they're, they say like, all right, you, you should lose some water weight pretty quick. And then after a week or so, you're going to start shedding pounds. And uh, about a week in, I looked at the scale and I'm like, I've gained five pounds. And uh, then later on, like I just kept gaining weight. And I was like, well, this is just pointless. So I gave it up. And, uh, and it's been for the better. And then I lost a couple pounds right after giving it up. So it was, uh, it was pretty great. So if you've given up on a New Year's resolution, know that you're not alone and I'm there with you and everyone else is gonna fall soon anyway. So uh, we'll, we'll be there to, to help encourage them as well. Uh, if you're new here uh, this morning, thanks so much for joining us. You came at an interesting time. It's a, it's a bit of a bittersweet time. You, you're kind of coming in as if like you're going to like a fireworks show and you're super late and you just get there and you're like uh, peering through your car window and you see the grand finale going off, okay? So this is like the grand finale, not because... I'm here, um, you know, if you, if you thought that, thank you. But it's not me, it's because it's we're at the end of our Colossians series. We've been in the book of Colossians for several months now, which uh, the book of Colossians is a letter written by Paul to a church, uh, a group of Christians in the city of Colossae. And we have been going through verse by verse, not skipping any passages. And this morning, uh, we're gonna see a passage that maybe isn't a typical passage uh, 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 passage that we, that we hear sermons on, but, but I love that we're going through verse by verse because we don't miss anything, and there's some really good stuff that we can learn here uh, today. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in uh, verse 10, and I'm really uh, pumped to be uh, with you guys for this. Um, it's fascinating because if you'll remember, for those of you who have been with us during this series, Paul has not actually met the Colossian Christians in person. He kind of has a long-distance relationship with them, and he's, he's sent delegates on his behalf to minister to them, to spread the gospel to them, and, uh, and those messengers have come back and reported to him on the Colossian Christians, and so this is his letter to them and saying, hey, I love you, I care about you, and it's incredibly personal. We're gonna see that here this morning. That's an inc- he has an incredibly personal closing for, for a guy who doesn't really know them in person. I just watched a, uh, a video last night of like two teenagers who had like this long distance relationship, and for like two years, they never met in person, and then they finally came together in person, and no joke, he was like, oh my goodness, you're like, you're mine, it's so crazy, and, she, and he's like, you're so beautiful, and she goes, wow, you're really short. And like the rest of the day, like was just super awkward around him. And then they broke up. So uh, fortunately, this is a case. But uh, Paul just has an intimate relationship with, with the Colossian Christians. And, and even though he hasn't met them, which is a, a really, really cool uh, fact. So last week, Andrew, who's one of uh, another pastor on our uh, team here, he uh, preached on verses seven through nine. And in that passage, he covered two guys and the length of his message was an awesome message, by the way. You should go back and listen to it if you missed it. Uh, the length of the message was just about 40 minutes. Okay, so, so keep that in mind because we are covering nine verses today and there's nine individuals listed. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your calendar and I want you to cancel all of your plans for this afternoon and buckle up, okay? 
We actually started service, the first service at 5 a.m. and I just finished when the first people started pouring in. So I'm just kidding. But in all, in all seriousness, uh, there's a lot that we can extract from this uh, passage. And, and we are going to take a significant chunk of time just uh, digging a little deeper into some of these individuals' lives and getting more of the background. So we're gonna kind of do quite a bit of a flyover for a large portion of this morning. But if you'll bear with me, we'll have some, some great application. Because in this passage, we're gonna see that Paul's friendships reflect his mission. And that's such an important principle for us to pick up and, and hopefully uh, will be an encouragement and challenge for us this morning. But first, I do have a story. Okay, I grew up uh, uh, with uh, an older brother and an older sister. My parents uh, are still together. They have a, a beautiful marriage and uh, they, they raised us in a Christian home. Uh, they loved Jesus. They loved us. They always wanted uh, to find opportunities to get closer to us and spend time with us. And one of the ways my mom would try and uh, get one of us each time she'd go grocery shopping to join her. Uh, so if we were on break and uh, we were just kind of doing nothing on a Thursday morning, she's like, hey, who wants to go grocery shopping with me? She had this theory that Thursday morning was the best grocery shopping day. I don't really know. But she, brought, she would try and bring us along. My oldest uh, sibling, my sister, she would always be like, nah, not interested. My brother was pretty much asleep every Thursday morning uh, if, if he wasn't woken up. And so that just left me. And my mom, she, she did this, uh, and parents take notes. She bribed me to, to go to the grocery store, okay? And, and so we would go to the grocery store. We'd spend like an hour walking around through the aisles. And occasionally, I'd, you know, I'd get to influence some of the decisions, you know. Uh, we'd, you know, get to pick which Pop-Tart flavor because my mom really cared about our nutritional uh, intake as kids. And so we'd pick one of those. Then we go to the deli counter. And uh, let me just say, if you have ever worked at a deli at a grocery store, God bless you. I, I do not envy those people because if, uh, if you ever just observe and there's like a group of, uh, when I went, it was like Thursday morning, all just a group of moms standing around just glaring at these deli workers, like making sure that the like half of a millimeter thickness is not, like it's not off by anything, like or else they'll have hell to pay, right? Like it was, it's intimidating. And my mom was one of those. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna say it. And she would probably admit it, that you gotta get that thickness on that American cheese perfect or you're done. And so uh, we would spend some time getting the, uh, getting the deli stuff. And then we would finally, 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 we get to the very end of the store. And here, here's the worker that I did envy, the bakery worker. Because the bakery worker crafted, I mean, it was an art. They crafted the most beautiful beautiful foods on planet earth that God's gift is, sorry if you're gluten-free, but they would craft these just amazing rolls and uh, cinnamon buns and cakes that were just beautiful. I can't imagine anyone who'd be angry at a, at a baker. Um, and then of course, and this is what my mom would use to, to uh, bribe me, the, the donut section. And there's the big donut display case just filled with delicious goodness divinely inspired, whoever created them was divinely inspired to create a donut, uh, especially jelly-filled donuts. Any jelly-filled donut people here? Yeah, amen, stand strong. It's uh, amazing when you just bite in and you just get that, that just jelly that fills your mouth. It's just incredible. And, you know, we used to, if you can remember a time where we could just put on a glove and reach in and just pick whatever donuts we wanted. Remember that? That was crazy. Think about all the germs we were spreading back then. And, uh, and, and so I would just get to pick my own donut and it made that just that long trip as a, as a teenager and as a kid it made the long trip with my mom having to follow the cart around. It made it so worth it and it was so good. So what does that have to do with this morning? Uh, only one tiny point. I'm just, I'm just trying to, to illustrate what to, this morning's gonna be like, I almost said tonight, what this morning's gonna be like that. We are gonna spend a lot of time kind of just digging in, and, but I promise you it'll all be worth it when we get that application at the very end. All right, that was a pointless story, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, okay. Um, so, we're gonna start in verse 10 and we're just gonna just kind of run through and see some of these characters that Paul mentions and, and try to give as much information on them as we can. So verse 10, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. So pause right here for a second. Paul's in prison and we don't fully know where he's in prison. Um, 
As Andrew mentioned last week, we're not entirely sure. He could have been, a lot of scholars think that he could have been in his first imprisonment in Rome during this time as he wrote this letter to the Colossian Christians. We don't know exactly, but we, what we do know is that he's under arrest. It could have been house arrest. It could have been an actual physical prison. But the point is he can't go anywhere. And what's really cool is that there's this guy named Aristarchus and Aristarchus is with him in prison. But We have no record to make us believe that Aristarchus was actually a prisoner. But Paul calls him a fellow prisoner. Why? Because Aristarchus chooses to stay with Paul under arrest. See, Aristarchus is a very faithful and loyal friend to Paul during this time. In fact, in uh, Acts 19, and for those of you who aren't really familiar with kind of the structure of the Bible, there's several books in it. And so in the New Testament, there's, there's multiple letters, which Colossians is one of them. But you have the book of Acts, which is uh, written as an account of the apostles, the witnesses and disciples of Jesus and, and their life and their mission after Jesus dies and then uh, uh, ascends, uh, raises from the dead and ascends into heaven. And so then you have Acts where the Holy Spirit fills the disciples and they go out and spread Christianity across the world. And half of the book of Acts uh, roughly follows the story of Paul and how Paul hated Christians, murdered Christians, and eventually was transformed by the living God, by Jesus, had a physical uh, vision of Jesus and had his life completely changed and became one of the most prolific Christians of all time. And so in this book of Acts, we actually see a lot of these characters lived out that are mentioned in this letter. And so Aristarchus in Acts 19 is following, we see him, that's where we first see him. He's following alongside Paul and they're in the church of Ephesus preaching faithfully the gospel of Jesus. And uh, all of a sudden, just like chaos ensues, a riot starts because people are like, just confused. I mean, we've seen plenty of riots this year. It comes like it, it doesn't make sense a lot of times because it starts one way and then all of a sudden just chaos ensues and there's all this craziness and riots. And that's kind of an Ephesus where they're like, what is going on here? And they're pressing in around Paul and Epaphras and their and, and company. And what's crazy is that after this, you would think if Epaphras wasn't very serious, if he was really just there to kind of witness some cool things from Paul, that would have been the moment where he was like, I'm out because I don't wanna be in the middle of a riot again because this is just crazy. But Aristarchus chose to stay with him. And what's crazier is then in Acts 24, the uh, uh, Paul, or maybe Acts 27, rather, and Paul is, yeah, Acts 27, Paul is uh, going uh, across a sea and there's a huge storm and Aristarchus is still with him. He's sticking with him. And a storm comes and they get completely shipwrecked. They have to like float for their lives on the sea. Then they make it onto an island. Paul gets bitten by a snake. It's just like crazy, gets bitten by a snake and it's like crazy stuff happening. And Aristarchus still stays with Paul and still remains with him despite all of this. And then when Paul's in prison, he says, I'm gonna be in prison with you because I wanna support you and encourage you and love you as much as I can. So Aristarchus is an amazing, amazing friend to Paul, incredibly loyal. So there's, there's guy number one. And, and some of you guys have a faithful friend or, or multiple faithful friends. I have, I have some really faithful and loyal friends in my life. I have a, a friend of mine uh, who, his name's Adam. We've been friends since second grade. He was like the, the teacher's pet. And so I came in like six weeks into school because we moved in the middle of like September because my parents just, I don't know, we just did it. And uh, so we moved to a completely new school and I came into this class, I didn't know anyone. And you know, Adam was the perfect angel. So he got to show me around, like here's the fish, you know, they die every week and we get new ones. And here's the like the grammar books over here and here's where, uh, whatever. And so we actually just became friends through that. And uh, throughout the years though, we just got closer and closer. And I just remember back in middle school. So imagine this, a middle school boy actually processing this. I had some self some moments of self-reflection where I went, man, I have not been a great friend to Adam. And yet he still is such good friends with me. So imagine two middle school boys coming together and being like, and I'm like, I came to him, I was like, dude, I have been such a bad friend to you. And yet you're still my friend. Like, why? And he's like, dude, I'll always be your friend. Like, I, I love you. And I, I just can't, like, I can't believe that I even uh, 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 just processed that. But it was because he was so faithful and so loving to me all the time, even when I treated him really poorly. And even to this day, I mean, even last night, 
I just, I, I wanted to talk to someone. And so I called him up at 10 o'clock at night. He's on the East coast. So that's 11 o'clock at night. And he picks up and he's like, yo, what's going on? And we just talked for, for a long time. And it was just such an encouragement to me that he was there and available. And just, we just talked about stuff and talked about life and caught up. And so I, I love having Adam in my life. And I love many faithful friends in my life that make all the difference. So there's number one. Aristarchus, the faithful and loyal friend. Let's uh, continue the, the latter half of verse 10. We get a uh, number two here on uh, Paul's friends. So uh, Aristarchus sends you his greetings and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Now, again, if you're pretty familiar with the book of Acts, the name Mark will jump out to you because Mark in uh, Acts 14, he's uh, alongside Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas have a really good relationship. See, Paul, when he was, when he changed from uh, a, a Christian murderer to martyr for the faith, he came to Jerusalem to go talk to the apostles and be like, yo, I'm on your side now. And, and he came to them and they're like, uh, I don't know about this. This seems sketchy. Is he just lying so that he can get in and infiltrate? I mean, Paul, this is the guy who, when the very first Christian, Stephen, was killed for his faith, Paul was standing there holding the coats, like, I'll grab your coat, I'll grab your coat, as they're stoning people, or as they're stoning Stephen. And he's standing there like, oh, let me grab that coat for you. And just there, just watching and being a part of the very first persecution of a Christian. So these, naturally, these Jerusalem Christians are like, I don't know about this guy. And Barnabas comes to Paul's aid and says, guys, I believe it. Jesus, he, he's seen the resurrected Jesus and his life has been changed. Barnabas is this encourager and he comes alongside Paul. And so the Christians in Jerusalem are like, fine, but you go and minister to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so Barnabas is like, all right, let's go. So Paul and Barnabas, they head out on, the, on Paul's first missionary journey and they go and start spreading the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth. They, they go to multiple cities, just declaring the word of God, seeing miraculous things happen. And Mark is alongside with them. But about halfway through, he's like, yeah, this is getting too hard, I'm out. And so they, they finish their first missionary journey. They come back and they're like, they're just amped. They, they, they love what Jesus has done on their first missionary journey. And so Paul and Barnabas then are like, let's do it again. So they're going and getting ready for their second missionary journey. And as they're getting ready to leave, Mark's like, hey guys, can I come with? And, and Paul is just absolutely not. You, you will not come on this trip because you already left us again and I'm not going to be babysitting you during this trip and then potentially lose one of our team again when we're trying to go, like the gospel is at stake here. I don't want to miss out on any opportunities that God is gonna provide for us on this trip. So no, Mark, you're not coming. And Barnabas is like, oh, wait, hang on, Paul, hang on. Why shouldn't he come? Like he, he's trying. Shouldn't we give him a second chance? I mean, I'd imagine, I don't know if this is true, but I imagine Barnabas is like, Paul, you yourself, I'm the one who gave you a second chance after you killed Christians and now you don't even let Mark come along. And so there's this disagreement that forms between Paul and Barnabas over Mark. And eventually they decide, you know what? We, we can't come to an agreement on this. And so they have these, these opposing uh, viewpoints on it. And, and it's crazy because they both actually have very valid points, uh, points that are rooted probably in biblical truth. Like, like if I'm honest, when I look at them, I get both sides of the argument because Paul's argument is, is really valid. I mean, th it's true. There were possibly the souls of thousands of people at stake with taking Mark with him. But I also understand Barnabas's point of doesn't everyone deserve grace? And here Mark is looking and seeking redemption. Shouldn't we give that, Paul? I mean, you of all people should understand that. And, it, and it's such a small point that I think we can miss it, but it's so important, guys, that, that there are points in our lives where I, we can have disagreements and then both be valid and rooted in biblical truth and maybe even both inspired by the Spirit. I mean, I'm gonna be honest, I, th I think, it doesn't say this in the text, but I think both these individuals were inspired by the Spirit to have the strong convictions that they had. 
And the same is true in the church. We can have different strong, strong convictions that are given to us by the spirit that actually are different. And at first glance are are completely opposing views. And I don't want us to miss that because oftentimes as a society, we, we, we like to avoid conflict as best as we can. We like to avoid those conversations, that disagreement. But it's so important that we have it. I mean, anyone who's married knows that you can have two valid opinions that are very opposite, right? You can have two different uh, views on things. My wife and I are expecting a baby here in a, in a few weeks. And uh, we, we've been talking about, okay, what, like, what is it gonna look like parenting? And how are we gonna raise, uh, raise our baby? And, and all this stuff and these conversations happen. And there are times where one of us says something and the other person's like, yeah, we're not doing that. Right, we both have. And, and, and there are, I will admit, there are plenty of times where, uh, only one of us has a valid opinion and it's usually her and mine would lead to the death of someone, okay? But there are times where we both have valid opinions and it's important that we actually talk about them and bring them up because if we don't, that could breed resentment, that could breed uh, anger towards each other and probably worst of all, we risk not coming to the best solution possible. We risk not being able to find a compromise and a compromise being trying to find the best in two different opinions and bring them together and and get the best solution we can. And sometimes compromises may look like Paul and Barnabas where it just says, hey, divide and conquer, let's do our thing. But sometimes it actually means just sacrificing parts of what you want to come to a, to a greater conclusion. And even Paul and, and Barnabas, they sacrificed a lot. They sacrificed the ability to work with each other. I mean, I imagine, and if you look at their first missionary journey, it was pretty sweet. I imagine they had some great chemistry and some just deep, deep-rooted friendship and, and care for each other. And so they had to sacrifice and say, you know, we have to go our separate ways. But what's beautiful about this moment is that even though they might've actually left upset with each other, they may have actually not been on good terms with each other when they left. But they came up with a compromise where Paul still got to evangelize to all these cities. He brought along other new partners with him in the gospel and Barnabas got to disciple Mark. Notice something about this passage here in Colossians that, that uh, Paul says, hey guys, Mark greets you. What does that mean? That means that Mark is alongside Paul in prison right now. Which means what? That Barnabas's choice to disciple Mark led him to a redeemed relationship with Paul and led him to being a part of something amazing with Paul and, and partnering with the gospel. And what's even more is this is the same Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark, gave us stories and, and, and uh, a perspective on Jesus' life and death here on earth. I mean, how amazing is that? And it all came from a disagreement. You can't miss that point. That's so critical. So we have uh, Aristarchus, the faithful friend. Then we have Mark, who's this redeemed companion. Now here's uh, number three in verse uh, 11. It says, Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They're working with me here for the kingdom of God and what a comfort they have been. So Jesus called justice, we don't really hear about him anywhere else. We don't know much about him. He's, uh, all we know is that his name was Jesus. And he was like, I'm gonna go by justice. And I think we can pick up the pieces on why he would do that. I mean, you know, it may be because he just wanted, out of, wanted to change his name out of respect for Jesus and leave that name. But I think it probably was more practical, even more practical than that, where he's like, well, if we're all gonna be talking about this guy named Jesus, I don't want people to be thinking of me and being like, oh, that guy, that at Jesus, you know, like I want them to be thinking about the real Jesus. So I'm just going to change my name and, and uh, avoid the confusion. That's, that's kind of all we can speculate about Jesus, uh, whose name is Justice here. But this, this important, the, the second part of that verse, is really important. Paul is saying these three guys, Mark, 
Aristarchus and Justice, they are my only Jewish companions with me. They're the only Jews who are, who are partnering with me. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't other Jewish Christians like Peter and the apostles out in Jerusalem uh, declaring the word of God in sync with what Paul is trying to do. It, that doesn't, that's not what Paul is saying, but what he's saying is these are the only ones who are with me, helping me and supporting me. And this is so important because Paul has such a deep love and passion for his Jewish brothers and sisters, especially those who don't know Jesus. In fact, in, in Romans 9.3, he says this, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed. What he's talking about is I would rather face eternal condemnation, separation from God, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. I would suffer damnation if it meant eternal salvation for my, for my fellow Jews. That's how much he loves his fellow Jews. And yet, and yet so many of these Jewish people hate Paul with, with everything they have. On multiple occasions, they try to kill him. If you hold to the belief that, uh, that, that Paul is writing this letter from uh, his first imprisonment in Rome, that means that he's writing this just after just after a bunch of Jewish leaders tried to get him killed in a, in a manner similar to the way they got Jesus killed. And he's the reason that they're in, that he's in, they're the reason he's in imprisonment right now. And yet he still has a love for them. And so you can, you can sense from this, the brokenness that he feels. I mean, why else would he say this? These are my only Jewish coworkers. And there's some sobriety in, in him saying that. He says, what a comfort they have been. That comfort means a relief of pain. That, 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 that he's getting this relief of just the pain of knowing that there's so many of his fellow Jews who don't know Jesus. So there's, there's our, our, our triplet, right? We have Aristarchus, the loyal friend. We have Mark, the, the redeemed companion. And we have uh, justice, the unknown Jesus. We'll just call him that. Um, but we have a second uh, triplet then here. And these are the, like, the people of Greek descent. So these are the non-Jewish people that, that Paul mentions here by name. And so uh, starting in verse 12, he says, Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you're following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Guys, a man named, there's this, this guy named Epaphras and, and uh, we actually see him uh, earlier on in the book of Colossians. And he is actually a messenger on Paul's behalf and not just a messenger, but Epaphras is responsible for helping lead many of the, many of the Colossian Christians to Jesus. He, he is responsible for, cre for helping create the church in Colossae. And so Epaphras has a deep relationship with the Colossian Christians. And it says he is struggling. He's praying earnestly for them. And not just them, but the, the Christians in Laodicea and Hierapolis, which are uh, nearby cities. Uh, Andrew showed this map last week, which was just to show how close Ephesus and Colossae were. But I, I have another map that kind of zooms in and shows how even closer Laodicea and, and Hierapolis are to Colossae. Laodicea is just uh, not, uh, 10 miles west of Colossae. And then just six miles north of that is Hierapolis. And so that's basically, essentially the difference or the distance from here out west to Wildwood, 10 miles. And then if we went uh, north from Wildwood, we'd hit Chesterfield in six miles. So extremely close. And you might go, well, Steve, they didn't have cars back then. And I'm like, yeah, but they didn't have 141 back then with all the lights and traffic. It's a disaster. I'd rather take a horse, okay? And so they were very close. And so these, these um, uh, 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 Epaphras said to, uh, is praying for all these Christians at all three of these cities. 
because he has a deep relationship and it's likely that he actually spread the gospel to all of these cities and, and, and loves them deeply. And it says that he's struggling in, in prayer for them. Guys, he is, he is just uh, so prayerful. So it, it's, it's hurtful. It, it, he's working so hard because he cares so much about them. Because of, as we saw earlier uh, in this series uh, throughout Colossians, there's a lot of heretical teaching going on. And, and Epaphras wants more than anything for them to hold fast in their faith. And uh, <clears throat> some of you, you, you've done this before you, you, and you maybe are right now, you're praying earnestly for someone, you're wrestling with God, you're struggling with God like Epaphras. Some of you, you may even have members of your own family. I know some of you may even have kids who, who you raise them up in, in the faith, who, who seem to profess uh, a, a faith in Jesus and then they went off on their own and, and maybe uh, started hearing some heretical teaching or maybe just got into pockets with people where they just started slipping away from their faith to the point where they rejected it entirely and no longer professed Jesus. And it's heartbreaking and you, and you pray for them. I'd be willing to bet you pray for them on like more than once a day, just constantly wrestling with God and struggling in prayer. And that's Epaphras here. These are his spiritual children, the people he's led to Jesus and he wants so badly for them to hold to their faith. The Greek word is agonizomai. It's agonizing. It's so painful that he just keeps doing it. And, and it says that he prays hard. It's likely better translated that he works hard. Further, just belaboring that point that meant prayer is work. And yet it's so incredibly powerful. And Epaphras is saying, I, I'm just, he's continuously praying, praying, even though he's out with Paul. Far and far away, but he has such a, a care and a deep passion for these fellow Christians. And, and this is just kind of like a little sidebar application point. But I think it's so important that, that many of us, we have a fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ who we maybe fell out of contact with. Maybe we moved far away and we're no longer just really friends with them anymore for all intents and purposes. And, and yet we can learn from Epaphras' example that God is still calling us to pray for our brothers and sisters across the globe. I know for me, myself, I, I, I've worked uh, at, at uh, like five or six different churches in many different states across the, the nation. And I look back to those churches and I still regularly, daily, still pray for the leadership of those churches and the congregation of those churches because there's people, there's members in those churches that I, I have uh, just a, a deep compassion and heart for. And they're not competitors. It's not like, man, I, uh, I can't, like I'm gonna grin when they fall because I disagree with the way they do this or something. No, it's I hope God please double, triple their influence, increase their yield, increase the harvest in their, in their area, God, like use them. And, and maybe for some of you, you, you know of these people, you have deep relationships that go way back that maybe just aren't present in your lives anymore. And God's calling you to say, hey, you still have the weapon of prayer to partner with them miles and miles and maybe even states and states or countries away. Now, the last two people in the, in the second trilogy, so to speak, we had Epaphras and then these other two Gentiles. It says, Luke, the beloved doctor, in verse 14, Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. The same Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke, and this is the same Luke who wrote the book of Acts. And this is where we actually learn that Luke was a doctor and that he was well-written. That, that explains why he uses such fancy words in the Greek. And Luke, I mean, like he's an educated man. And we learn that he's a Gentile and that he's Greek. And we also learn that Paul thinks very highly of Luke. He says, beloved doctor Luke. I love that. He doesn't say that of anyone else here in this passage, but, but there's something about Luke. And, and Luke was actually present with Paul in the same passages that Aristarchus was in Acts. In fact, Luke writes about, <laughs> Luke wrote the book of Acts because he was there for a lot of it. And a lot of times he uses we and us, like we were shipwrecked. And so Luke was another faithful follower 
and faithful companion with Paul of Gentile descent. And then the other person here is Demas. And we don't know too much about him, but he's mentioned one other time uh, in the entire New Testament. It's in 2 Timothy 4.10. And Paul just mentions him in passing and talks uh, about, alludes to the fact that Demas betrayed him and, and pretty much deserted him completely and, and leads us to believe that he completely just deserted the faith as well. And so Demas at this time is a partner with Paul, but eventually falls away. And we don't really know the future of, of Demas beyond that. So we've got the, the, the two trilogies, okay? We've got, the three, uh, we've got the three Jewish friends of Paul. We've got the three Greek friends of Paul. And then he gives some more uh, instruction here in verse 15 moving forward. And some of this is uh, a little uh, less certain. So he says in, in 15, going through 17, please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry of the Lord gave you. So a lot of his instructions here are up in the air. We just don't know a lot about these people. Even this uh, person nympha it's translated nympha which is a female name but actually there's a lot of debate whether it was a male name or if, we don't even know uh, we know nothing about nympha we also don't even know if nympha's her, her name or it, she could be a he we don't even know that um we also don't really know much about this guy named archippus here we just know that he dropped the ball and needs to needs to pick up the the slack a little bit paul is kind of exhorting him and admonishing him we do uh know uh, a little bit about Laodicea, as we said, but we still don't know too much of it. But there's this curious phrase that he, that he says here in verse 16, after you have read the letter, pass it on to the church of Laodicea so they can read it too, and then you should read the letter I wrote to them. That's a curious phrase. And what he's saying uh, in, the, in that first part is, hey, I've written this letter to you because again, these letters weren't just written to like the, you know, it wasn't like, Colossian Bible Church or something. It was like, no, there were, house, there were house churches of different Christians throughout the city of Colossae. Paul's writing a letter. It needs to be copied, distributed, read aloud to all the Christians around in Colossae. And then he's saying, and then after that, make sure it gets out to Laodicea as well. But then he says this really curious thing. He says, and then the letter I wrote to them, bring that over here. That's interesting because we don't really know. Andrew kind of alluded to the fact that it could be the uh, letter to the Ephesians, the other possibility is that Paul actually wrote a letter to Laodicea that we just don't have record of. That's certainly possible. 1 Corinthians 5, 9, we see uh, Paul mentions another letter to the Corinthians and we don't have that. He wrote 2 Corinthians, but that was after 1 Corinthians. There, were, there isn't a 0.5 Corinthians. So we have no record of that one. And so it, it's all up in the air. We have no idea and it just kind of piques my curiosity because I'm like, man, I wish we had that. Like, I'd just be so interested to know what's in these potentially missing letters. So we, we don't know, but, but we just need to trust God's providence. And then moving into uh, verse 18, he says, here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. Now, the reason I didn't like scream that because it was all in caps is they changed it to caps to show that this is Paul writing these words. Now, typically when, uh, when, when someone would write a letter like Paul, a lot of times he would have someone actually writing it and he would just dictate it. And so this is him likely saying, okay, let me, let me take the pen right now because I need to show that this is really important that they know that I'm writing this. And then he says these three powerful words. He says, remember my chains. And he's entreating, them to, he's entreating of them two things. The first thing is he's saying, man, when you go through hardship, because it's gonna be hard, when you go through potential persecution, potential death, maybe just excisement from the community in Colossae, whatever it is, remember that I am in prison for this gospel too. I'm with you. I get it. It's hard, but it's worth it. And I'm, I'm the one, I'm the reason that it came to you in the first place, that this gospel came to you. So I know, I know what it's like, but remember but the second thing he's entreating of them is saying, pray for me. I need your prayer badly. You see, we think of Paul as like this giant of the faith, one of the most prolific Christians of all times. And yet Paul himself is saying, I need prayer. 
And the truth is that the more influence God gives us, the more opportunities God gives us to spread his gospel, the more prayer we need because we are weak, because we are uh, uh, sinful, because we're not perfect. We need the, the, the strength of God, the strength of Jesus, and we need other believers praying for us. And, and Paul's asking for this from them. All right. So at last, we've, we've reached the, the glorious display of donuts, the application, right? You're sick of that. You're sick of that metaphor. I get it. I am too. Um, but <clears throat> here we have uh, just an incredible, incredible principle from Paul that, that Paul's friendships, I mentioned this earlier, Paul's friendships reflect his mission. And they're a massive part in propelling him forward on these missionary journeys. And so what can we learn from that? How, how can our friendships reflect the mission that God's given us? Every single one of us has been given this mission from God to spread his kingdom, to, to spread the gospel of Jesus to everyone we possibly can. And so how do we do, how do friendships impact that? And I think a word that Paul uses in here is uh, when he says that, that, that fellow prisoner, and, and he kind of alludes to this idea of that Paul's friends are companions with him. That there's idea of a, of a companionship between him and all these people that he lists. See, oftentimes when we have uh, hear sermons or podcasts or whatever on friendship, we talk about this idea that, man, we need to find friends who are gonna love us, who are gonna encourage us and build us up, and that's great. But too often, we talk about friendships as Christians as if it's just an end to it of itself. Like, we, we just need friends to encourage us and build us up, and then we'll feel better. And that's, that's not the point of friendships. Guys, it's just a means to an end. God has called us to friendships within the church with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in order to be built up. Why? So that we can propel one another into a mission towards spreading the gospel of Jesus to those around us. And if our friendships aren't like that, if our friendships aren't companionships, then we're missing the point of them. And, and I know for me, and, and I think a lot of us, we, we tend to think of, okay, man, uh, do these people, do we get along with them? Are our personalities match? Maybe do our kids get along well? And we think about kind of the, the compatibility and like, do I feel encouraged around them or whatever it is? And again, those aren't bad things, but do we ever stop and think, are these going to be companions with me in the gospel work? And am I going to serve with these people? I mean, that's what the whole purpose of small groups this is, are there, uh, these are groups of people who are coming together and encouraging each other and saying, how can we serve in the kingdom of God together? How can we encourage each other and build one another up and, and uh, serve in our community, be a salt and light in our community together as companions in the gospel? That's what Paul is, is calling us to. And I think if we have this mindset, if we say this is a means to an end, not an end itself, I think we'll end up being a lot less picky with our friendships. I think we'll be a lot more open to having a diverse set of friendships of people with different opinions, different backgrounds who are, who are speaking some incredible perspectives that we wouldn't otherwise get we would be able to see the gospel furthered like, like Paul and Barnabas. Where they had differences of opinion, complete different perspectives. And God was able to use the disagreement. God was able to use the controversy to do far more than what they originally were gonna do. You see, without that disagreement, I wonder if the, the, the gospel of Mark would have even been written I wonder how much less effective Paul's ministry would have been when he wrote, around the time when he wrote Colossians if he didn't have Mark by his side because Barnabas stopped and they had this disagreement. And so there's incredible, incredible power to having a diversity of opinions. And it starts with seeing that our friends, that friendships within the church should be a companionship 
more so than a compatibility test. I can think of just even on our uh, student ministry staff team, Andrew, who's one of our pastors, spoke last week. He and I both serve in in student ministries together. And and I think he and I can relate to this Paul and Barnabas thing because a lot of times we we are just two entirely different personalities, different uh, people, and we just see things so differently. I remember the first, I came uh, to, to the church on staff and I'd only been there for a couple of weeks and we grabbed lunch and we're just sitting down and we're just talking about our passions, our giftings, our callings. And we're going, wow, these are way different. And instead of going, uh-oh, all right, gloves are coming off, like get ready to fight. Like we, we said, man, this is gonna be awesome because I am able to gain so much wisdom from Andrew's perspective that I wouldn't be able to see without him. And I think he, I hope he would say the same, maybe not, you know, uh, you can talk to him later and, and he might be like, oh yeah, don't listen to that. No, but I, I think we were able to just build one another up and have completely different perspectives and voice different. I mean, there's, we meet every single week as a, as a student ministry staff team. And I don't, I can't think of a single week we've met together and there hasn't been a disagreement and there hasn't been different opinions shared. Because beyond just me and Andrew, there's, there's uh, three other or four others on staff just in our student ministry department that's all meeting together, all with different giftings and callings and, and opinions and perspectives. And it's hard sometimes, but at the same time, we were able to be far more effective. And, and beyond just that, then we go beyond the student ministry department. We have all these other departments. We have the, the kids ministry staff, our facility staff, who all have different passions, who all have uh, different things that they're looking at and perspectives. And we can come together as a church staff and say, we are all on the same mission, not just as a staff, but with our entire congregation, our volunteers. I mean, we have hundreds. I mean, probably most of you here volunteer in some capacity and have different perspectives. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's part of this idea that we, we uh, call the undivided mindset at our church that we, we major in the majors and minors in the minors, meaning we have different convictions. We have different opinions. We have different passions. And, and they are God-given. They're God-ordained convictions, oftentimes, sometimes not, but oftentimes they're, they're spirit-led and they may actually be completely different from another person who's being spirit-led and that's okay because we're on mission together. But we have this unifying thing that, that, that we believe in the Lordship of Jesus, that he's Lord and Savior of our lives, that, that he alone is our path to relationship with our heavenly father. And so in closing, I wanna say relationships, they're messy. I mean, they're, they're just messy in general. I mean, Paul got that. He, he felt that quite a bit. He lost three friends at some point. You know, Mark they, and Demas, they both messed up big time. Mark came back, not after it hurt Paul. Archippus seems to have hurt Paul. Failed him, deserted him in some element, betrayed him. But how did Paul put up with this? It's through grace. And that's the one tiny part of this passage we, we failed to, to read yet. That's at the very end. It's how he ends his letter. He says, may God's grace be with you. Ends how, how the letter started where he, he grants them grace in the beginning of his letter and ends it. And I don't think this was Paul going, oh, I started with grace. Now I should end with it. And I should write it like this. I don't, I think it was that like intentionally written. I just think that he embodied a lifestyle of grace each and every day that compelled him at the end of his letter to say, man, this is all tied up in, in this idea of grace. And Paul was so passionate about that. And so my question is this, do your, do your friendships reflect your mission? Do your friendships reflect your mission? More more specifically, are are you companions with fellow believers, serving with them, seeking out friendships that are gonna build you up and that you're gonna build them up with with varying perspectives, varying uh, opinions and backgrounds? Are you willing to disagree and say, hey, this is a means to an end. We're, We're all on the same mission together. I think, I think we minimize the importance of friendships as adults, right? When it comes to kids and our students, we're all about friendships and the importance of it 
finding good friends and, and, and making sure that we're surrounding. And we talk about that all the time, but sometimes as adults, we can forget that we should be just as intentional with finding companions with us in the gospel so that we can have a greater impact for God's kingdom. So do your friendships reflect your mission? Do they propel you forward into being the salt and light Jesus has explicitly called you to be? I hope so. And I hope we're intentionally looking, again, not for this compatibility test, but just looking for others that we can, that we can serve alongside. I mean, there's a couple hundred right here. There's a few other hundred online. Pretty good start. Next week, we're gonna uh, start a, a series on parables. So we're gonna be just looking at Jesus uh, uh, and some of, some of his parables, which are just fictional stories that are uh, there to communicate a larger meaning. In our junior high ministry uh, with our sixth through eighth graders, we did a, a similar series uh, last year and that was a lot of fun to get to, to study in. And so I'm really excited moving forward to see uh, as we dig deeper into just the, the deep, deep, limitless, uh, limitless wisdom of Jesus in his parables. And uh, so that'll be really exciting to get to, to take a, a, a deep look in those in the coming weeks. But guys, I, I hope that, that starting this week, we can just continue to evaluate our friendships and, and evaluate, are we, do we, are we surrounding ourselves with companions in the gospel? Which enable us to build friendships with those outside the church and create more opportunities to, to spread the love of Jesus with those who don't know him. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. I thank you uh, just for the opportunity you've given us to meet here together, God. Lord, we just thank you for your grace and your love that you've given us that each and every day by your mercy, we can rise and know that we have a relationship with you despite our failures and faults and shortcomings that you still love us just the same. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to um, uh, have friendships that reflect our mission, God, that we would have friendships that are uh, uh, diverse and that are uh, challenging us and that are uh, ultimately, God, a, a better word would, to define them would be companions rather than just friends, that we would serve alongside one another as First Free Church to minister to those in our community. Father, I, I pray for a great harvest in the months and the years to come. There are so many people around us who don't know you and need you so badly, God. And they see it now perhaps more than ever with this pandemic. Father, let us be the salt and light that you've called us to be each and every one of us with our different gifts and passions. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.